0: the next trip podcast with aviation insiders doug and drew together with more than 40
1: years of industry experience they are creating a network for other app geeks and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation all thoughts and opinions are their own
0: good and welcome to boarding pass 217 operating on january 22nd 2023 this is doug an airline pilot and i'm here with my buddy drew an airline ops manager we're here to discuss aviation topics from an industry insider's perspective Boy, oh boy, do we have an interesting list of topics this week. But first, Drew, at least you're not in Buffalo. You're not the ops manager of the Buffalo <laughs> airport because they got four feet of snow over the weekend, and I think they continued to get more.
1: Yeah, it's crazy, but but they're used to that kind of stuff. I, in D.C., we've gotten about 10 inches of snow already. And it's not even, we're just halfway through the, the winter season. We still have January, February. Ryan in Fargo, that's supposed to be, they're, they're built for this, this kind of snow. They've gotten three inches, Doug, three inches. Mm-hmm. And it, I, th- I sent you an image of the uh, El Nino patterns, which we spoke about last week. It's completely fitting that pattern where I'm getting more precipitation and the Midwest is drier. So we're seeing that play out.
0: Yeah, and I saw it play out a little bit uh, when I left the other day out of San Francisco. A lot of the European flights were canceled. I knew that there was something wrong when I showed up at the airport, and it was in the morning, and there was a Lufthansa 747-8 just parked off on the side of the field. It normally doesn't get in until mid-afternoon, and then it leaves 90 minutes later, two hours later. So when you see a Lufthansa 747 in the morning, It's either a mechanical from the day prior or something happened. Most of the, or a lot of the European flights were canceled because of the big snowstorm that Europe was getting, Germany specifically.
1: And Munich got it maybe a week ago or a week and a half ago, right uh, before Mm -hmm. you were there. And it was a winter wonderland. And it is a winter wonderland here. It's not as snowy, you know, not as beautiful as Munich, but there's a lot of snow for us. Last year, we had no real events of snow. This year, just this last week, we've had two, Doug. So when we taped last time, I was, I, I was bracing everyone for my snow stories because we were about to get a storm on last Saturday, and we taped on Friday, I believe. And we did, and it kept going. And it was just supposed to be in the morning, but it just kept, kept snowing. So it was a de-ice operation from start to finish. And I'm glad to say, you know, good thing we had that flurry gate because that, that flurry gate where we had some planes de-iced that was a good practice session because we were we were more prepared for the real thing. And it was a whole day event. We operated a full schedule, Doug, a full schedule. In days past, we would cancel part of it just to keep up. But these days, the flights are so full and the company has a direction to run it hard. And we ran it hard. Some of the taxi times were long, but no one got hurt. Everything got off the ground. Nothing came back to the gate for egress or gas. That was quite an accomplishment. I got a break for once. Because we had snow again the day before, yes, uh, was it yesterday? We got snow, and I was off, so all I had to do was to do the the dog and pony show presentation and the planning the day before, and I I felt guilty because I'm doing it knowing that it's not going to be me. Actually handling it, so I had all the people that were going to be there the next day. Hey, you guys should join in because
0: you're going to be (laughs) handling this. That's trusting your team, though, which is great. And if if it went off without a hitch, then that is a success for you. You know that your program works. I typed this up I think on Wednesday, maybe Thursday. I said more than 10,000 flights had canceled over the last week, mainly due to snow, but also some of the max issues. And I read this morning that they're averaging right now about a thousand, between all the airlines, about a thousand flights a day between the Midwest and the East Coast just because of the storms. I know most of the storms have pushed out now, but there are these lingering effects. And we talk about this for the listeners who might be sitting in sunny Phoenix <laughs> and their flight to Austin canceled. Right? and it's bright skies and they're like, wait, what's going on? Well, it's because the airplane or the crew or something is out of place. Just because it's affecting the East Coast doesn't mean that there aren't downstream effects everywhere else around the US or even around the world. Think about that. The, all those Germany flights that I saw sitting there canceled, those are airplanes and crews for Lufthansa. That, that that airplane that 747-8 was maybe turning out of frankfurt to beijing or something exactly. and now lufthansa in frankfurt has airplanes stuck all over the world uh-huh. because no, no one could get in so now they have crews and airplanes that are stuck you can see how globally things can get impacted <laughs> it's not just regionally and this is a great example of that
1: so if you're sitting in delhi and you're like i there's no snow here and it's like 90 degrees what is your problem why am i canceling
0: <laughs> yes but and we didn't put this in the news but i can slide it in right now mm-hmm. india has had their own set of issues in the last few days because of fog i don't know oh, if you've yeah. seen the news yeah, about it that it's horrible that there were smog. The, yeah that, well the smog and yeah i'm probably mainly smog i think the media is going easy on them, calling it fog. It's, it's probably smog. You're right. It probably is smog. <laughs> but I've read some stories about airplanes that were stuck on the ramp for 12 plus hours, oh, God. passengers going crazy. It, it reminded me a little bit of the Northeast meltdown from about 15 or so years ago, which led to these long-term delay modifications, if you can call it that, or fines if the if the airlines keep people on the airplane for more than X number of hours. Yeah. I don't think they have that in India right now. So when this fog, smog, <laughs> schmog, whatever we're calling it, rolls in, it, it, it's it's impacting a, a lot around the world.
1: Yeah. Well, now back to running it hard. We're, we're trying to run a full operation. So the three airports in this area just yesterday, DCA canceled 200 flights.
0: Which is a lot for DCA.
1: That's a lot. But their main constraint is they have one main runway that they use, which is just over 7,000 feet. There are two smaller runways that the commuter airlines use sometimes. They're like 5,000 feet. Very rarely you will see a 737 land on one of those alternative runways. They have one main runway. So when that has to be cleaned, guess what? You're going to have ground stops. All over arrival uh, flow programs and ground stops into DCA. So they canceled 200. Baltimore canceled 95. And Dulles, where I work, only canceled 45 flights for all airlines. They did a really good job. So we have four, I have to think, because it's always, there's four runways. And at all times, we had two available. So it was a really good job by Dulles Airport for anyone uh, who worked for the airport that could be listening. Thanks for uh, keeping us flying.
0: That's a benefit of being out in the boonies. Well, I I know it's not in the boonies anymore. The city has grown around it. But when it was built, it was out Mm -hmm. in the boonies. It was an hour outside of town, lots of land. And they were able to build it big like that. And airports that have a lot of runways are able to be successful. I know we're going to talk in a little bit about how there's a lot of news. And, and this this episode is very news-centric. Right. I'm going to slide two more news stories in that relate to this in yeah. a way. First of all, there was that American Eagle ERJ that went off the runway. And I think it was Rochester in upstate New York. Everyone with all 53 people, three crew members, 50 passengers, they were fine. They were impacted by the snow. They slid off the runway Again, we go back to how how safe aviation is, and right. the crew handled it very well. The airplane was, was built to handle something like that. It's making the news now because aviation is in the focus. Maybe five years ago, it would have been on probably the front page of the Rochester newspaper, but it wouldn't have gone national like it did. It's a, a big focus right now. And then your neck of the woods yesterday, what do we always say? Kudos to the crew. There was Kudos a single engine caravan. A Southern Airways, which is a little EAS commuter type airline with seven passengers and two pilots going to we we, going to I thought about this when I read it Lancaster, not not Lancaster, Pennsylvania, it was Lancaster, (laughs) Pennsylvania, they lost an engine right after takeoff. And Drew, I think they were incredibly lucky. They were able to. I, I look, you sent me the flight radar 24 path. Yeah. They made a turn. They landed on some expressway heading into or out of town. Yeah. Everyone walked away unscathed, which was amazing. If they had gone into the clouds, I know it was low, low visibility and snow. Mm. If they'd gone into the clouds, they may not have been able to see and recognize where a road was. Right. Perfect timing for this to have happened. When it did, because the the pilots were able to handle it.
1: Yeah, luckily everyone survived. And there there were no injuries even. When this happened, Ryan at work texted me with the picture. He's like, so this just happened. And these guys are usually (laughs) joking around. And I'm like, is this a joke? Why is there a plane on the parkway? (laughs) Getting back to something very serious. I want to talk about Air Florida Flight 90 which is an example that I use every time we do our Winter Ops training. I use this as an example to show people why de-icing and holdover times are so important. So just real quick, I think we've talked about this in the past, but Air Florida 90 was a 737. that crashed into to the Potomac for a number of reasons. One of them was the crew hadn't turned on the uh, engine anti-ice. They even went through the checklist and still failed to see that it was turned off. And there was um, holdover time. It was a long time The holdover time is the time from when the last step of the de-ice process starts till the time it's complete. And the plane taxis out, and ideally it takes off right away. This plane, Doug, was on the ground for 49 minutes after that last de-icing step, And they reported heavy snow when they were taking off. In heavy snow, probably your holdover time is like 15 to 20 minutes. For us at the airport, it's holdover time. So we watch those. You watch those as a pilot. The dispatches watch them. So there's a lot of eyes on it. We are not the final say in holdover time. It's you guys in the flight deck. We can see if the holdover times are short. We don't want long taxi time. So we need to have a very good de-ice metering plan so that the planes can go out with no waiting, get on the de ice pad and then take off right away. How often have you had a situation where you had to, where you, where you were de iced this year?
0: Not this year, no, not yet, but the, several times in my career, both Air Force flying and with the company, we've had to get de iced in certain pre- precipitation events to the point where I had to cancel a flight once because the, the snow was so heavy. That there was no way that our holdover time, no matter what fluid they use or how close to the runway they did it, the holdover time for the fluid they were using and the type of preset was down to maybe four minutes. There's mm. no way that that we can get airborne at that point. And instead of wasting the fluid, we said, you know what, we're we're just gonna call it for today. There's no reason to do this. We'll mm. do it again when it's safe.
1: If we're just removing snow and ice off the wings and the airplane It'll just be type one fluid. If it's yeah, con- and there's
0: no hold over time. There's no hold over time. Just removal.
1: Yeah, hold over time is for when there's continuous snow. When there is continuous snow, flurries, whatever, we will often do a second step, which we use type four at the airlines. That gives you longer a longer hold over time. I mean, you could just do type one if it's just flurries because you're going to be off the ground soon. But then you can do type four if it's moderate snow, even if you're even if there's flurries and you think it's going to be a long time. what that does is that gives you additional time it's a it's a protectant it's not a deicing it it's a protectant it's like a it goes over it looks like maple syrup, but it's green mm-hmm. <laughs> that's how you know it's and you know and it's it's nice that there's a color because you as a pilot, you can see okay they've done type four you can't miss it. Lara loves this stuff. So Laura, if you're listening, as a reminder, and for everyone, just to show how smart you are, when you're on a plane that's being de-iced, if you're seeing orange fluid going on, that is type 1. And when it's green, that's type 4. So you can know there's two steps. And just today, Doug, we have had two friends who were on flights a couple hours ago on planes that were being de-iced. So it was Patrick on a 777 leaving Dulles and Eric on a uh, 737-800 leaving Nashville at the same time. Yeah. So Nashville,
0: great. Nashville, of all places, is getting slammed right now. I saw a satellite image of the East Coast. They got snow all the way down into Louisiana, Louisiana, oh, wow. Tennessee, Arkansas, Northern Alabama and Mississippi places that rarely get snow—they got dumped on this yeah. week, which matches that graphic. The Ascent of El Nino. I'm kind of I'm
1: growing weary of the snow already. I know it's only January. We're taping this on January 20th. I want to know about 67 degrees and blue sky on the other side of the world. Where Where'd you go?
0: That was just in the morning. By the evening, when I went out to the night market, it was mm-hmm. in the mid to upper 70s. It was gorgeous. I went to Taipei, and it, as you said, and I agree with it best weather I've ever had in Taipei clear blue skies a lot of times it's a a lot of times when I'm there it's warm muggy rainy it's almost I I hesitate to say always cloudy but there's always some sort of a cloud layer I don't know if it's smog rolling over from (laughs) mainland China China. or what what it is but it's it's always kind of gray and and Mm -hmm. cloudy there hazy Mm -hmm. that yeah that's a great way to describe it it was beautiful almost not a cloud in the sky beautiful blue skies, nice and warm. I finally did what I had wanted to do for several Taipei trips, and I wasn't really able to because of the weather. I hiked Elephant Mountain. Anyone who's been to Taipei probably familiar with it. Beautiful hike. It's not that hard. Gorgeous overview of the city. You're basically on the same level as Taipei 101, maybe a little bit lower from mm-hmm. a height standpoint, but you're overlooking the entire city. It looked Absolutely like Hong gorgeous. Kong. It did. On, on a much, much smaller mm-hmm. scale than Hong Kong. Not as many high rises. I think Hong Kong has some of the most most skyscrapers in the world, if not the most. sure some listeners will probably correct it but Drew I'm I'm really glad that I did that hike because that video I sent you Uh everyone who goes to Taipei they know about the night markets which are awesome markets you can go to and get street food and buy clothes and whatever you want the vibe is is great and I, I love going to those night markets I found a day market, which was basically the exact same thing, uh-huh. but it was during the day. Usually, the night markets don't open until sunset. Can we just this call it the market? Because <laughs> it's well, always open. So. No, no, because the, the day market, actually, uh-huh. I looked it up. The, the day market that I went to closes mid-afternoon, mm. and then the night markets open up later. So there is a, a difference in the location <laughs> between the day market and the night market. Uh-huh. And Come on, putting a, a time of day on it sounds cooler than just going to the, to the market.
1: Yeah. And then you were have, there was many varieties of meat on a stick, and you were eating something that looked delicious, that looked deep fried. You're sh- still not sure what kind of meat it was?
0: I think it was it fish, matter. but as I said, you <laughs> could have been another animal. I'm not going to say it because I've got that animal laying on the floor right next to me.
1: No, stop. <laughs> <laughs> uh so how are the flights i'm looking at el nino now i because we're so um so educated in that it looks like with the weather weather pattern going to north asia i guess taipei is kind of north asia i would think
0: You're i think it's of... on the border of south asia technically okay north asia i think is more korea japan beijing northern china i mm-hmm. think Ta- taiwan is maybe you could call it central well yeah. no central asia is more like the the stand. it's like stands. Yeah. It's not quite North Asia. It's also not quite Southeast Asia. It's it's right in the middle.
1: Looking at the El Nino patterns, so that's where it converges close to the equator with the dry air in the north and the wet air in the south, which could be a weather front. Was it smooth going, going and coming to Taipei? It looked like it
0: should be. Going over, it was very smooth, and we actually got in an hour early from what, what we were originally blocked at because the winds were not that strong because as as we've talked about with the el nino it's where it swings a little bit closer to the equator taking the great circle route brings us up over the north we had a tailwind a, a great majority of the time and we got in incredibly early to taipei which was great hmm. coming back today though was super bumpy it was probably one of the worst crossings i've had in a long time across the pacific and we were well north of the jet stream too we were we were out of the jet stream which meant that it was a little bit longer going eastbound than what it would be if we were in the jet stream. Interestingly enough, looking at flight radar 24 before we left, a lot of Asian carriers were taking a southerly route through Mm -hmm. the jet stream. Mm -hmm. In fact, there was another carrier that left Taipei 20 minutes before us. They got into San Francisco ninety minutes before us. Oh wow! Because they they took the southerly route through the jet stream. So it's more turbu- know, It's fo- probably even more turbulent it, for them. It probably was, and it was bad for us. I can't imagine what it was for them. And our flight planning software takes all that into account. It takes efficiency. It takes time. It takes ride conditions. I don't know about theirs, or if they just said, nah, let's let's just." try and go as as quickly as we can mm-hmm. who cares about the rides
1: for the listeners doug just got back a few hours ago and you look you look alert you look awake you told me you got for very now. little <laughs> you look you got very little sleep it's almost like this show also is like an example of how it is to be an airline pilot because when you were in london you were taping while being sleep deprived and also mm-hmm. malnourished here it seems like i'm not
0: gonna say anything
1: <laughs> don't say it but it seems like doug is fine i mean maybe you're gonna hit a brick wall in a few hours but you're you're oh, good I'm for sure, the...
0: well the, not a few hours i'm sure i'll hit a brick wall as soon as we record <laughs> luckily marissa is out with the girls this uh-huh. afternoon so i'll probably take a nap as soon as we're done i just need to be done in time for the packers game this okay. afternoon this <laughs> yeah evening. that's why,
1: yeah doug is in, in full regalia already I, i'm not a sports fan but could the packers go to the super bowl yeah
0: we'll see
1: well i was rooting i I will say i'm not a football fan but i went with patrick and ryan to jimmy's and it just so happened that some packers game was on and we were rooting for you oh wait, no the boys were rooting for uh the cowboys i'm like you have got to be Uh, kidding me why we uh, don't live we don't live in texas i was rooting for the packers
0: because they're a "quote unquote" America's team. Everyone roots for that. Yeah. Whatever. whatever. Anyways, <laughs> let's. I digress. Let's move on. Well, I think everyone can probably guess what a lot of this episode is going to cover based on recent news, <clears throat> JetBlue and Spirit. <clears throat> but <laughs> before we get before we get to that fun, let's check in on our friends up in Seattle, or is it Arlington, Virginia? Maybe Wichita. <laughs> maybe Chicago. I don't. I was gonna quite say you know didn't have Chicago.
1: Anymore. Yeah, for like I a week know, they were in Chicago. I-
0: yeah, I think they've they've dumped <laughs> Chicago I, I don't know. I'm not really sure where to geolocate them. It's all so confusing. Drew, what's the status on our friends at Boeing and the Max9 grounding?
1: Well the status is they're still their headquarters is still not where they make the planes. <laughs> Here's a tip from Next Trip Podcast. Move back to Seattle or Charleston and be your headquarters should be where you make the planes and that should be your biggest focus anyway.
0: before before you give the bullets i read an interesting article Mm -hmm. i don't remember if it was i I think it it was probably an op-ed this week that talked about how boeing's head is in virginia Mm. their heart is in chicago and their body is in seattle (laughs) with other other body parts in kansas and (laughs) south carolina
1: are you saying that because united air transport company was based in chicago
0: no, I th- I think because the headquarters still are in the process of getting moved. I, oh, I know their okay. headquarters technically are now in Arlington, mm-hmm. but I think that y- you can't just right-click, mm. cut, <laughs> right-click, paste in a millisecond. It takes a long time to move an operation like that. Yeah, it does. All
1: right, well, Doug, this saga continues as was expected boeing said this week it will add additional quality inspections after last week's incident the quality inspections will be completed in renton washington at the uh, the location of the final assembly of the max 9 line have you ever been to that that Mm -hmm. factory in renton that's also where the the museum of flight is right or is it not
0: no the museum of flight is at boeing field which is south of downtown and Renton is on the north side.
1: Yeah, they all seem really close. It will also send a team to Wichita, where subcontractor Spirit Aerosystems builds the fuselages. The inspectors will check the quality of the door plugs, as well as 50 other parts of the production process. Boeing will also open the door sorry for the pun, <laughs> to any customer that wants to send its own team of quality control inspectors to view the production process. That's great. Boeing Commercial Airplanes President Stan Deal said that in addition to this, it will also teach employees quality management. Why has this done, been done before? And seek outside counsel to conduct an independent assessment of its production process. Maybe just absorb spirit back into Boeing? I don't know.
0: Uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But why, why has this independent assessment not been done before? Who knows? Well, Anyways. Hey, I, I, but,
1: real, but before we move on, we work for an airline and we fly the planes. You work for that company. The flight attendants work for that company. I work for that same company. Spirit Aerosystems makes, for all intensive purposes, makes the 737, the whole fuselage. This would be like the airlines giving the pilot jobs to some contractor, you know, a critical part of our process. But anyway, again, I di- am I digress. Yeah,
0: it's really no different, though, than Amazon having Atlas, having Sun Country, having Hawaiian fly its airplanes and stamping the Amazon logo on the side. It's not that it, it's not done. And Atlas, they fly for everyone. They, mm. they fly for Qantas. They fly for Singapore. Mm-hmm. I saw a DHL 777 in Taipei that was flying for Singapore. It, it happens all the time in the industry where you, you sub something out, not not just our industry, lots mm-hmm. of industries around the world sub out because it's less expensive. But that's where you get into cost cutting and cost cutting leads to issues. I, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole.
1: That's a good point, Doug, because they are a delivery company when it comes down to it. And the companies that are doing the delivering, as you said, could be anyone. So that makes sense. <laughs> but they are trying to create prime air or grow prime air. So we'll see if they're able to do that because they're probably also seeing the benefits of having the stuff in-house where they can control it. But just like you said, sometimes it's cheaper to find the lowest bidder to uh, move your goods.
0: Not sometimes, I would say all all the time, but is that a good thing? Again, this is a rabbit hole that I don't feel like we need to get down, <laughs> especially with me sleep-deprived. Luckily, I'm not malnourished. The food last night was great. Anyways, at the time of this recording, the MAX 9 remains grounded globally. The FAA said last week that it would need to inspect 40 of the 171 grounded planes before making any decision on a return to service. Wednesday of this week, the FAA announced that it finished inspecting the first 40 planes and it would begin analyzing the data. It didn't comment on when a decision would be made regarding the ungrounding. Now, breaking since we typed this a couple days ago, they came out with a new airworthiness directive saying this is what airlines need to do and Boeing Mm -hmm. to fix the problem. It's an eight-hour fix, is what the FAA has said, even though they came out with the AD. In years past, you come out with an AD as soon as the airlines do it, the airplane under that AD is good to fly. Yeah, what are we We're now two days removed from the AD, and the MAX 9 still has not been cleared to proceed. Well, I'm not I'm, entirely sure why. The AD
1: was issued, and the airlines have done this process that they're asking for. I think the FAA now wants to check it to see if they've actually done the process the way they're directing them to. You know, th- I'm okay with them taking longer to make sure this thing is safe, because it's gonna. There are some concerns from some flyers about the Max Nine. I am not concerned. I will still fly it, but this will give the public some more confidence that everything has been done. There's a new sheriff in town. It's Michael Whitaker. This is his first test as FAA administrator. And this guy, I mean, look at. I don't. We're gonna have to read his resume again, but he's been in the industry a long time. Um, he's a lawyer. He is a, he was an airline executive for a long time, but here's something I didn't know. He's also a private pilot. Interesting. He, and he got his private pilot's, pilot's license, like I, what I'm trying to do later on in life. Shortly after getting it, he had a plane crash. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. And he, you know, had to go through the investigation and all that. Of course he was cleared. He knows the process and he mentioned when he got, when he took the job, the safety was his number one priority. So he's going to have a chance now to actually make good on that with the max i'm I'm really happy that someone like that who is so engaged in the flying part of it is is leading this
0: yeah as we said when he got hired no when he got uh, appointed uh, uh, pr- no it was it was after the appointment it was the approval i think it was when congress approved it we talked about how we're actually really excited that it was him because he he brings everything that's needed to the fa it is right. a big ship to steer. It's going to take a long time to to actually get the vector in that direction. Right. But they're turning the ship, and, and that's what they're doing right now, which is good. Hopefully Boeing can do the same with mm-hmm. all these changes that should have been made years ago. It's a big ship to steer. Hopefully it's getting steered in the right direction.
1: Well, And he may help Boeing to do that. It's the FAA. They're the regulator, and they have responsibility to make sure the country's biggest airplane maker is building safe plans
0: all right well technically we're at the point of the show where we usually do the news however this entire episode is basically news as we talked about in the opening that said we do have a news story unrelated to boeing or mergers and it falls in line with the topic that we cover extensively india drew
1: we don't want our listeners to get fatigued hearing us talk about indian you know i'm about to go there so this is just starting <laughs> we might be doing a show from there i might be Again. there when you yeah yep. But it is booming, and so, and so it's hard to skip. We've talked about how Indian airlines are growing crazy, like how the ME3, the Middle East 3, Emirates, Qatar, and Antihad, all have a giant market funneling people to and from India. Well, there's another airline that is jumping on the bandwagon or a Mumbai train during rush hour. with <laughs>
0: <laughs> The people hanging on. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yeah,
1: Lufthansa is jumping on that Mumbai commuter train, hanging on like everyone else. Um, Lufthansa announced that it's pulling down flight capacity from several countries it currently serves in order to meet surging demand to India. The airline says current capacity in India is now 14% higher than it was pre-COVID, and it's growing faster than any other market, and it plans to use A380s to key markets there. That might be. Hopefully they do it soon. Can they do it in the next week, and I can Zed fare (laughs) on an A380? (laughs) According to Reuters, India is the fifth largest aviation market in the world, and domestic traffic is expected to double by 2030. Doug, it is 2024. Double? And so in six years, it's supposed to double. I mean, that, that is yeah, explosive. That's growth. crazy. The country is also investing 12 billion in constructing new airports and updating those that uh, already exist. Th- this reminds me of our aviation industry in the 50s and 60s, mm-hmm. where it was explosive growth. And that they are at that stage now.
0: Yeah, initially, when I saw that 12 billion number, that seemed a little bit low to me, that if they're building new airports. Mm. But then I thought about it's it's India, and the cost of labor is and materials are probably a lot cheaper than they are in a lot of other parts of the world. Hopefully yeah. that $12 billion can stretch pretty far, and hopefully the government can maybe put a little bit more into it. Hopefully the listeners don't get India fatigue on this show, mm-hmm. but this this was one of our opening topics ever on this podcast, and this is something that we have to continue looking at just because of this explosive growth. And we've yeah. talked about it extensively. Now you have Lufthansa, the biggest, I, I, I think the biggest, arguably one of the biggest airlines in, in Europe, who is pulling capacity. And most of the articles I read, it didn't say where they were pulling that capacity from. But they're pulling capacity to pump it into India. Mm-hmm. That's huge. That That is a signal and a sign that India really is booming. And it's not just the Indian airlines who are talking about it. There are other airlines now Mm -hmm. who are seeing this rapid growth and they're trying to capitalize on it.
1: Yeah, now we are not economists, but I think part of this has to do with the U.S. having strained relations with China. So I am, anecdotally, I'm seeing stories about Apple moving some of its production facilities from China to India, and a lot more investment from Western nations in India because at this point it's more welcoming than China. This may change because you live on the West Coast. I mean, you, you know how how much of an effect Chinese travel had on the U.S., and that's diminished now. Hopefully, that will come back, so we'll have two very you know vibrant trading partners. But this may be one of the reasons in India is expanding so much because the West has friendly relations with it.
0: Well, and, and with Apple and other countries, not not just U.S. countries, but uh, other countries around the world pumping money into India, this is part of what's driving that growth and, and that middle-class growth. I know we t- that we don't talk about it a lot, but economists talk about how it's the middle class that really drives the growth around the world. And when a country gets out of that, develop or when, when they round that corner, get over the hump, and they go from developing to more developed, a lot of times it's that middle-class growth that yeah. leads to that development. And that's where you see booming explosive growth like this. If we're still doing this podcast 15 years from now, hopefully we are. But if if we still are doing this podcast 15 years from now, India, I think, will be established. We won't be talking about that much anymore. We'll right. be talking about Africa. We'll be talking right. about Lots of different countries in Africa. And even to some small extent, and I, I think we've talked about this in the past, Ethiopia, mm-hmm. they're growing. Kenya is growing. Mm-hmm. South Africa, I just read there's they're relaunching Perth mm-hmm. service. They're oh, wow. relaunching Buenos Aires, I think, Sao Paulo. South African hasn't flown outside of the, the country of South Africa or the couple of countries that touch it uh-huh. since pre-COVID when they were in that financial difficulties. Yeah. Now South African is starting to come back. I don't think the center of gravity of aviation will shift toward Africa in the next couple of years, but eventually maybe it will start to shift as Africa then has that resurgence and that renaissance in aviation like what India is experiencing right now. You
1: mentioned a good point. that something that we don't think about. A lot of the air routes go through... Uh, Northern uh, go through the northern northern hemisphere. There's not as much in the southern hemisphere and I think there's a lot of room for growth just like some of the routes you mentioned from Johannesburg to Sao Paulo, from Singapore to Cape Town. There's a lot of opportunities without transitioning, without that wasted travel to uh, the Having northern to go hemisphere.
0: Through Doha or or Dubai or mm-hmm. Mumbai or any yep. of those. This is something we're really excited about. We're really pulling for India. I we we pull for the entire world when it comes to aviation, but we have mm-hmm. been huge supporters of Indian av- Indian aviation. We're really rooting for them. Lufthansa, great job. Two thumbs up. One for me, one f- one from Drew. Well, I think on. for this decision.
1: <laughs> well, before before we leave, we got to talk about this just happened. Akasa Airlines which we weren't even sure exactly. They've, what They've
0: it was. Fin- they finalized the order. Th- that's why I didn't put this in here because okay. it, was, it was the order that was rumored. Okay. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. But yeah, they, mm-hmm. they finalized it at Wings India, which is that mm-hmm. big event. They finalized the order 150 max airplanes, and this is as the max <laughs> as is the max yet another being another crisis, <laughs> right? Exactly, and and they're they're still putting their full faith and con- confidence. Oh, and Ed Bastion today or yesterday because Delta has a, I think 100. Max 10s on order, Some came out tail? and said, we, we we still have full faith in the Max. We're, mm-hmm. we're pressing ahead. I'm not worried about it. Something along those lines. I said we weren't going to talk about Boeing with this, but of course, here we go. It Everything <laughs> somehow comes back okay. to it. Well, we've reached the main event, Spirit and JetBlue. I know our listeners are waiting with bated breath to hear our take on this week's biggest news, but before we offer our analysis, and I'm putting this in air quotes of the situation, let's cover the bullet points.
1: I was shocked by this verdict, actually. So was I. I couldn't believe it. We have a verdict in the jet, in JetBlue's planned $3.8 billion takeover of spirit. U.S. District Judge William Young sided with the Department of Justice and struck down the deal, Doug, saying it was anti-competitive and would harm consumers. Now, we're going to have a lot of discussion. So just, I mean, I'm, I know we're both itching to give our editorials on this, but we're just going through the facts first. The ruling said that the merger violated US antitrust laws. The judge said a combined JetBlue and Spirit would likely place stronger pressure on larger carriers that dominate the domestic market, but the consumers that rely on Spirit's unique low price model would likely be harmed. He said that the government found that rivals cut prices between 7 to 11% on average when Spirit enters a market, and the deal would undo that competition. Both Spirit and JetBlue said they are disappointed by the ruling and are independently assessing next steps, but Doug, the ruling can be appealed.
0: And on Friday, I typed this on Wednesday or Thursday, on Friday, both airlines said that they are going to appeal the ruling. We'll see what happens. Mm. But for now, this leaves both carriers at a crossroads and ultimately weaker af- after having spent millions of dollars pursuing the deal. JetBlue will be required to pay hundreds of millions of dollars now that the deal is blocked, pending an appeal, I guess. Mm-hmm. $70 million will be to Spirit itself and $400 million to its shareholders. Outgoing JetBlue CEO Robin Hayes said this week to employees, quote, One way or another, be assured JetBlue has a bright future. If we need to move forward without Spirit, we will invigorate our standalone organic plan, continuing to fight for more market share and win customers from the big airlines, unquote. Spirit's future, on the other hand, is now being questioned by many analysts. With some even saying chances are high that the airline will have to file for Chapter 11 bankruptcy to restructure its debts, and then ultimately Chapter 7, which is liquidation. Spirit recently initiated a sale leaseback program for several of its planes, selling them to lessors to build its available cash, then immediately lease them back so not to lose a source of revenue, which could keep the operation running a little longer. One aviation analyst from T.D. Cohen said of Spirit, We believe Spirit is likely to look for another buyer, but more likely scenario is Chapter 11 filing, followed by liquidation. We recognize this sounds alarmist and harsh, but the reality is we believe there are limited scenarios that enable Spirit to restructure. Spirit responded by saying it is looking to refinance its debt and it's not considering restructuring. Other analysts have said how Spirit's stock is now down close to 75%, JetBlue could renegotiate the deal, and with Spirit rumored to be now in survival mode, the new deal could be more likely to be approved by the DOJ. One more bullet that I'm going to add right now Spirit actually just updated their guidance mm-hmm. for the fourth quarter and the fiscal year 24. Spirit releases their results next week sometime, but they updated the guidance saying it's a lot better than what they initially thought it was going to be, mm-hmm. which then Bumped the stock, it it dropped 75%. It's up 20 on that 75% drop. So it's still down substantially from what it was. Yeah. But they came out and said, hey, we actually had a much better fourth quarter than what we expected. So okay. maybe Spirit isn't quite doing as poorly as what some of these analysts are <sighs> saying. But man, how the tables turn. Spirit, who was booming during the pandemic, they've been a, a big player in this market for a long time. Now they're in survival mode. This kind of came out of nowhere.
1: We're about to see how shrewd their new CEO, Joanna Girardi is. So she got this handed on her plate. So she's just coming in.
0: JetBlue CEO. JetBlue CEO.
1: JetBlue CEO. Yep. Uh, Joanna Girardi. 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 We'll we'll learn how to pronounce it soon. (laughs) She can be on the show, too. Look at this. I mean, they made a gamble, right? So they're basically paying $470 million basically in penalties because they assured their investors and Spirit that this would go through, and they were going to pay this out if it didn't, right? So everyone would be invested in this. But I'm just thinking, if I'm Joanna right now in her corporate office someplace in Midtown Manhattan or, or Fort Lauderdale or, or wherever they are, she's probably thinking, okay, let's think of this. So we were buying Spirit for $33. dollars dollars 8
0: Three point eight billion
1: dollars, and they were paying Doug thirty three dollars and fifty cents a share when they started this this merger adventure. Right? Spirit stock is now down to about seven dollars a share, so it has gone down by eighty percent. So if I'm Joanna, I'm thinking, uh let's go ahead and scrap this <laughs> because she could come back and just yeah, buy the remnants a share,
0: or fourteen a share,
1: whatever. Yeah, for half price, less than half price. And you know it could they could start liquidating and JetBlue could come in and buy everything at a fair sale, I I don't know.
0: Yes, yes. The the liquidation piece though, if Spirit were to liquidate, and I've I've seen some analysts saying Spirit could, or JetBlue could pick up the pieces. That's if they don't lose out to American, to Delta, to, everyone, to yeah. United. There is nothing that is capping the big mm-hmm. three from picking up the pieces and splitting the, the bounty, if you will, of a liquidation. You could cut split split the total fleet in a third. Each of the, the big three could take one third because they all fly A three twenties and A three twenty ones that Spirit has. And then you could hire those pilots in into your airline. And now mm-hmm. JetBlue th- who is not in great financial no, they're situ- not situation in great- right yeah. now they would have a much harder time picking up a liquidated Spirit. And mm-hmm. I, I think this doesn't help anyone. If if Spirit were to liquidate, it would yeah. just entrench the big three even more. And then JetBlue is, is out even more. Spirit is gone. I, right. I don't think that that would be good. And the judge, William Young, even said, and we talked about this back in December, he said, and, and I think this is why we were thinking it was going to go through, he talked about, yes, the 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 prosecutors made a case, but he said, if I don't go through with this, and spirit goes out of business, then no one wins. And well, spirit might go out of business. Ever, and spirit <laughs> might go out of business. Exactly.
1: I do understand his reasoning that if you take spirit out, you take out a choice for that, that spirit customer, right? That spirit customer is looking for a $49 fare. It's not everyone, it's people that are looking for a really low fare, and you're taking that option away from them, and now they have Frontier, Ovelo and a few others with the 99, you know, for the really cheap fares. Now, hear me out, do you think, based on that, do you think that they would have a better shot at merging with Hawaiian? You're not really losing anything because it's not, neither of them are low fare airlines, and JetBlue and Hawaiian probably have less overlap than Hawaiian and Alaska.
0: I think that JetBlue and Hawaiian, uh, just spitballing here, have 0.0000 repeating overlap. I don't think that there is a yeah. single route that JetBlue flies mm-hmm. that Hawaiian also flies. Zero. Zero. Correct me if I'm wrong, because JetBlue doesn't fly to the islands. Right. Hawaiian only flies to Boston, New York on the East Coast. I am going to go out on a limb, a pretty strong limb here, and say zero. There is zero overlap. I think that JetBlue and Hawaiian are much better partners than JetBlue and Spirit to begin with. We said that mm-hmm. from the start several years ago, that we thought that JetBlue and Hawaiian, maybe throw Alaska in there as well, are much better together. Than JetBlue and Spirit. I know JetBlue said that they're going to appeal the ruling, but now JetBlue uh-huh. might be looking and saying, well, maybe we can <laughs> outbid Alaska for Hawaiian.
1: I'm thinking JetBlue has opportunities. So the number one is to withdraw from the deal, try it again with Spirit at $7 a share or even less. Like if things get worse for them, they can get it cheaper. Two, just to abandon spirit altogether, try and merge with, with Hawaiian, where they, just like you just said, they would ha- that merger would have a better chance of going through than the Alaskan, Alaska-Hawaiian merger, because there's no overlap. And I believe Hawaiian has actually put it out there that they're not 100% close to other opportunities.
0: They have. Yeah, Hawaiian <laughs> said we would be interested in other parties as well. To the listeners, I apologize about what the next probably two to three years are going to bring, because yeah. we're... There's going to be a lot the, of episodes. The about. dust is far from settling in all of this. And if you told me two years ago when Frontier and Spirit announced their merger, which shocked all of us, that mm-hmm. we would be here where JetBlue and Spirit were going to merge, and then the deal got turned down, and then Alaska and Hawaiian, for my business mind, this is fantastic this is the meme of michael jackson sitting mm-hmm. in movie theater eating <laughs> yeah, the eat popcorn. popcorn i am michael jackson just sitting there eating that this popcorn right now
1: i think we both agree on this i it what we would like to see is JetBlue, hawaiian and alaska merge into a carrier that can actually give competition to a real network carrier the network carriers and it's it's good news for the network carriers also because consolidation is good for everyone the fares are better. It's all. I, I'm not saying this because we work for one of the major carriers. I'm saying this because consolidation actually will give you, the customer Joe Public, more alternatives. You'll have a choice of five carriers that you can choose from to get from San Francisco to Washington. And we had that in, in 2000. We had 10 or 12 network carriers that were competing. And now we're down to four if you count Southwest, which is not really a network carrier, but it kind of is. The fares for that people use, not to just go to Orlando with the family once every two years, the fares that people need to run their businesses or do regular stuff. Like in the year, we probably travel many times. It's not just one fifty nine dollar fare that we found on Spirit. I'm talking about daily service from Minneapolis to Dallas or Chicago. We're talking about stuff that can grow grow the economy.
0: I don't think the JetBlue is going to stay independent. I think JetBlue needs a suitor. I know they're coming out with gusto right now, telling the employees, we'll get through it with an organic growth plan. What? Why didn't that organic growth plan work in the first place? If, if you knew that you could get through it, why wouldn't you try that? Why would you try this expensive purchase of another airline if you had this organic growth plan? So why now all of a sudden are you saying this organic growth, it's going to be fine? Trying to instill confidence in the employees. I completely get it. But I, I think five years from now, there's almost no chance that JetBlue is still independent. That our, the current marketplace, as it looks now, that all the airlines who are here now are here in their current form in uh-huh. two years, even. Five, three, two, three, five years. The yeah. consolidation, I think, is going to have to happen.
1: So this isn't bode well for Frontier wanting to merge with Spirit. Because that was no, the but- other suitor...
0: But Frontier came out and they said, we're disappointed, but we're okay going Mm alone. And they seem to be doing well. They seem to be doing okay. And Frontier, I know Frontier is not publicly traded, so we don't see Frontier's finances the same Mm -hmm. way that we see Spirits. Who knows what's actually happening behind the curtain? But so far, Frontier seems like they're doing okay, and, and they're continuing on.
1: Barry Biffle at Frontier headquarters in Denver is probably sitting there thinking, Wow, we didn't yeah this turned out well for us. We didn't get into this whole morass and you know, all for nothing.
0: Barry Biffle is sitting there eating his popcorn too, and he is a person who I would love to sit down. Everyone says I'd love to sit down and have a drink with X, Y, or Z. Yeah, now we're talking about sitting there eating popcorn. I would love to sit down and eat popcorn with Barry <laughs> <laughs> Well, Because you know he's sitting there eating popcorn watching this story play out. <laughs> exactly. Just like we are. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think that we've beat this dead horse for this week because we're going to talk about it a lot. Let's move out of this. Let's move away because it's mostly been a downer of an episode talking about the merger not going through spirit and liquidation crisis. The max. Let's talk about something good. What do you say we try and end on a high note, or more specifically, a record breaking note? Boeing just announced that they had 1,456 gross orders in 2023, one of the best years in the company's history. Mm. It had 1,314 net orders, which takes the cancellations out of the gross which is its third best year ever, and the best in a decade. The company also delivered 528 planes in 2023, a 10% jump over 2022, and more than 2020 and 2021 combined. Great year for Boeing, despite everything that's going on right now.
1: Well, yeah, but despite Boeing's stellar year, it was still overshadowed by Airbus, who logged the most orders ever. Airbus grossed 2,319 orders with a net of 2,094. Its deliveries totaled 735 planes to 87 customers. Airbus commercial aircraft CEO Christian Shearer said, We have never sold as many A320s or A350s in a given year. Travel is back, and there is serious momentum. You know, Doug, I think we need another manufacturer to compete with these two because I think we're seeing a little slacking, if you will, maybe on Boeing's side. Cause they have got like, one. Bombardier.
0: Yeah. Bombardier with the C Series. Oh, Great yeah. Great airplane. Exactly. They could compete. Oh, wait. No. <laughs> Can't Airbus do it. bought them for a dollar. <laughs> Where were the antitrust regulators then? <laughs> I'm almost like.
1: You know, too big to fail. Like, both of these companies are too big to fail, right? Maybe we support Lockheed Martin to bring back the Elton 11 (laughs) 800 MAX. Can you imagine how awesome that would be? (laughs) Okay, but I do, all joking aside, Doug, I do, you know, we want to close this out positive. I'm just not trying to get a positive spin. This is real. The Boeing 787 is one of our most reliable fleets. I work with them every day. I cannot rem- remember the last time we had an overnight delay due to a Boeing 787 being out of service. The Boeing 777 is very reliable. Patrick is on a 777 right now. He's probably landed in San Diego, but we looked at it. It was built in the mid-90s, so about mm-hmm. almost 30 years old. We're Debbie Downer on the Boeings, look at how well they can make an airplane, right? Yes, we had a <laughs> well, bump in the road with the Max. I on you know this is where it's good to start from scratch and you know maybe they keep adding winglets and kickstands and all this stuff onto it sometimes it might be better just to start from scratch maybe we're reaching that point with Boeing where they need to like dust off the plans for the 797 or whatever was supposed to replace this
0: can I just bring this up Christian Shearer at Airbus said that they have never sold as many A320s in a given year this was the be- or 2023 last year was the best sales year ever for the A320. Drew, do you know what year the A320 was introduced?
1: Uh was it 1995?
0: No. No, the a- <laughs> the A320 was in the the mid to late 80s. Oh wow. Everyone is ragging on Boeing for their 1960s mm-hmm. design for the 737. Yes, the A320 is is 20 plus 25 around. years younger, but the A320 has been around for a really long time too. How long is Airbus going to stretch the A320 line? I know the NEO is new. All the airlines who fly it, minus the engine issues right now, really love the A320 NEO. It's not going anywhere anytime soon. The A320 is still not a young chicken, if you can call it that.
1: Right. We just assume, because, you know, for for its time, it was very modern, and the flight deck is so much more modern than the 737, so we just assume it's it's present-day technology, but yeah, you're right.
0: It was here. It is. I just a, I just looked it up. The A3 the A320 was launched in March 1984. It first mm-hmm. flew in February 1987, which was before I was born. That was four months before, five months before I was born, mm-hmm. and it was introduced in April 1988 by Air France. This is still not. It's not a young airplane. Right. And the current line, the the Neo, is the second iteration. Anyone who took delivery of the CEO, the current engine option which was right before the NEO, I think that ended in like 2015. That was a 30-plus-year-old airplane that airlines were still clamoring to get. And now everyone is ragging on Boeing for stretching and stretching (laughs) and stretching the 737. We just said right here, I'm almost in my 40s, and the A320 family is older older than I am. It's older than you. It's older than me.
1: Well, yeah, and I'm sure Delta and uh, United are possibly flying airplanes that are almost as old as you, probably um delta
0: delta for sure sure. in fact i remember i remember my first flight ever on an a320 it was in 1994 to florida and i I just remember it was northwest and i just remember being so excited for that because and this is going to sound terrible at the time i'm a seven-year-old kid and I'm tired of flying on the 727 and uh-huh. the DZ9. oh yeah, now looking back on it, oh, I would jump at the opportunity to fly on another 727 for <laughs> sure. But, but I was like, "Oh, I'm tired of uh, this seven-year-old me, I'm tired of these mm-hmm. 727s. I, I, want, I want to be on the new airplane, and I, I just remember like, "Oh, this is so fantastic." Oh yeah, that was in 1994. Oh,
1: no, I... <laughs> That was in 1994, and in 1994, I was working for America West, where we were just getting our A320s, and it was like a kid in a candy store. I mean, non riving on the A320, I was like, you know, in awe of how modern.
0: (laughs) 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 You know, and that was compared to the 757. This is just us blabbing. I I think you can tell I'm tired. (laughs) I need a nap. Let's end it before we lose any more listeners. These are all topics that we're probably going to have to do go-arounds for I know that your battery on your computer is dying. My internal <laughs> yeah. physical battery is probably lower than what your computer is. So mm-hmm. what do you say we finish this before both of us die? Me personally yeah. and your <laughs> and your computer, my computer. So to our yeah, friends To our friends and contributors, this podcast is your show. So go on our website, nexttripnetwork.com. Let us know what's on your mind so we can talk about it or give us your feedback. You can also follow us on Instagram at nexttrippodcast. Please tell your friends about us so we can reach more people who love aviation and travel.
1: Uh, Some of you sent us emails, which we share almost all of them. If you want a greater chance of your message being on the Next Trip Podcast, call us. Call our Google voice number to to ask a question or just rant about something. The number is 872-529-5620 when calling from the U.S. Make sure to use country code 001 or plus one when calling from abroad. Thanks to all of our friends and contributors for your support and for joining the conversation. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, stay aviation tough. This has been the Next Trip Podcast. Visit nexttripnetwork.com for
0: information about previous episodes, trip reviews, aviation photos, and other aviation-related content. This is your show, so search for The Next Trip on Twitter and let Doug and Drew know what you want to talk about. Not on Twitter? You can also email them at nexttrip.podcast at gmail.com. Please consider leaving a review wherever you download your podcasts. It will help other listeners like you discover this show. Is better? Just keep talking for right now. Okay, because I can hear you really well, and it's Bluetooth. Yeah. yeah um call maybe maybe say that you're uh like right base for runway something uh gear down
1: yeah cessna 172 golf on uh base leg for uh one five right
0: (laughs) (laughs) oh we just had we got our outtakes